We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to dig a bit deeper into this question I was asked in a recent interview. The question was very clear and very simple. I was asked, what's wrong with the world? I gave you my answer in a previous episode, but today we're going to go one layer deeper into this question. I'm going to answer, what's wrong with the world 2.0, if you will. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Well, as I said in the introduction, I want to go back and revisit this question that I was asked recently in an interview. The question was very simple and very clear. What's wrong with the world? Now, if you listened to last week's episodes, you know that I answered this question by referring to the story of G.K. Chesterton when he was asked the same thing by the London Times back in the early 1900s. I shared with you the story how Chesterton, one of the most prolific writers of his day within Great Britain, was asked by this premier newspaper, the London Times, to write an essay and answer the question. Apparently, they were interested in him addressing that particular issue. And I told you the story about how he answered very succinctly and very briefly. The letter that he offered in response to that particular request was (laughs) simply, Dear Sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. So what was his point? That he was going to admit, as we all should, when you're answering the question as to what's wrong with everything that's going on around us, what's wrong with the world, what is the solution to all that ails us? Chesterton was making the point. Confession. Repentance. We have to recognize that we're to blame. Not everybody else, but we are. What's wrong with the world? Essentially, he was referring to the original sin. We're all broken for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if we're going to start talking about fixing the problems of the world, we've got to start with ourselves. And that fix is only found through repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, Chesterton had moved from mysticism and agnosticism and atheism. He had dabbled in various different religions, and he finally came home to the church with a capital C, to the body of Christ. He was committed to his Christianity, and he was challenging his fellow citizens of Great Britain to acknowledge the fact that Christianity is the only salt that will heal a rotting culture. It's the only light that will illuminate the darkness of our hearts and bring us to a healthy culture and solve the problem of what's wrong with the world. So with that as context, I want to dig a bit deeper into this question today and uh, give you a little bit more to chew on in answering the question as to what's wrong with the world. So let's take a break, and when I get back, um, I'll revisit that question and give you more of an answer than just Dear sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. We can dig deeper, and in fact, Chesterton did. He wrote a whole book on what's wrong with the world. 
I'm not going to write a whole book, but I'm going to give you a little bit more to think about. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to the rebellion. So let me set the context again. It's a bit of a repeat, but if you didn't listen to a previous show, I want you to understand why I'm even addressing this issue. I was involved in an interview recently where the person, the host of the interview, was asking me this particular question. He said, would you just answer this? Answer the question, what's wrong with the world? Now, again, this is pretty simple and pretty basic, right? So what would you say? What would your answer be? Maybe you'd highlight the selfishness of identity politics, or perhaps you'd mention the overbearing nature of big government and big brother. Maybe you'd stress education, energy, the economy, or things like nationalism, racial animus, or maybe it would be nuclear proliferation or the threat of World War III. I mean, the list could go on and on, right, as to what's wrong with the world. But here's my point today. While all of these things are obviously bad, okay, I'm not saying that big government is good or that the state of today's economy is strong or that education is going in the right direction or that our energy policy is right and good right now. I'm not claiming any of that. I'm not claiming that racial animus or the threat of North Korea having nuclear missiles that they can fire upon our West Coast, I don't think any of that is a good thing. Yes, those things are wrong with the world, but these are pathologies. These are symptoms of a bigger disease in in my book. So I don't think that those should be at the top of our list. They wouldn't be at the top of mine. Uh, The principal thing that's wrong with our world right now is not this stuff. I think the principal thing that's wrong with the world right now is that we all think we're Webster. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm referring to Webster's Dictionary. Today, one of the key things, if not one of the primary things that's wrong with the world is that we, you and I and everybody else around us, in the United States in particular, we think we've got 350 million different dictionaries. We all think we are Webster. We are dictionaries unto ourselves. So where am I going with this? Well, think about it. 
the loss of meaning and the degradation of discourse is a thing, it's a key. It's a key that has opened up Pandora's box. It's unlocked the cage that has held the kraken in bondage. And this kraken is now released upon culture and it's consuming it. We no longer have a common code. We no longer are cultivating the field in parallel rows. It's all confused. It's all chaos. There's no cult to hold the culture together. And again, I'm not referring to a false religion. I'm referring to the etymology of the word culture, which is cultivate. Cult was commonality, sharing the rows in common, going in a common direction. To cultivate a field is to do that. And culture reflected that commonality, the rows going in a common direction in unity rather than chaos crossing over one another. So one of the primary realities in the field of human existence, if you will, is being attacked or ignored right now. And it's the definition and the meaning of words. We're treating discourse, conversation, communication, as if words mean nothing. We act as if our words and our vocabulary, our definitions are as flexible and moldable, malleable as clay in the hands of a potter. So by and large, we, we should all intuitively know that the rules of language are set. Okay, They have to be. They have to be set. And if we communicate sanely and intelligently with one another, we have to assume that definitions can't change on a dime, right? So you you can't claim that a pony is a fish. And you can't pretend that the word fish means chicken, right? The meaning of words must be objective and predictable and enduring. Frankly, this is self-evident. And it's irrefutable. And if it's not, we're not you, you couldn't even listen to what I'm saying right now and make sense of it. It would make no sense. It would be nonsense to listen, listen to me and either agree or disagree. You have to have some understanding and agreement on the definition of the words we're using to communicate, right? This shouldn't be debatable. But the very nature of speaking and reading and writing of communicating, of dialogue, of discourse, assumes definitional clarity. Okay, I'm going to make the point again here. If that weren't so, our normal daily communication would become as impossible as trying to play football without a field or a ball. It would be like trying to play in a orchestra without any rules for music, without any without any notes, without any rules for rhyme and rhythm and cadence. And as I've said before, if that's what you try to do, it's not going to be a concerto, it's going to be chaos. And if you try to play football on a field that's shaped like a diamond with three bases on it, then you're not playing football, you're playing baseball. And if you try to play baseball on a field that has a bunch of lines every 10 yards, then you've got a problem here. If there are no bases, it's not baseball. If, if there are no yard markers, then you can't play football. If there aren't any goalposts, you can't kick a field goal. And if you don't have goals, you can't play soccer. You get my point here? You have to have rules. You have to have definition or you can't play the game. So when it comes to a dictionary, facts matter too, not your feelings. 
You may feel like dogs or quarter horses, but they aren't. You may feel like your Labrador retriever can lay eggs, but she won't. You might feel like water is dry, but it's not. You might feel like a fire won't burn you, but it will. In, in all of these examples that I'm citing right now, whether it be sports, music, or whether it be these ludicrous examples like horses and dogs and fire and water, you, none of your feelings change the facts of what truly is. The definition of is matters. And a dog is a dog. It's not a chicken. And a horse is a horse. It's not a pig. And water is wet. It's not dry. And fire burns. It doesn't soothe if you put your hand in it. You get my point? My point is this. None of your feelings change the facts on what the definition of these things are. Definition matters. Your delusions don't. But in today's culture, this, this collapse of definition stems from our abuse and disrespect for words and their meaning. Many terms that we use in daily conversation today are being used to deceive more than they're being used to clarify. Now, what do I mean? Well, let's look at this, an example. We disregard the objective meaning of words, and that has led us to believe that liberals are those who want less liberty rather than more. Well, that doesn't make any sense. A liberal should be passionate about liberty because liberate, liberty, is the concept of what it means to be a classical liberal. But today it's upside down. Liberals want to close down open debate. They want to shut down disagreement. Under the banner of tolerance, they won't tolerate you. Under the banner of love, they hate you. So we've got these reversals, these upside down definitions of words that should mean, in essence, their exact opposite. So progressives, they've spun reality and turned it on its head. Love is now synonymous with sex, and, and hate is now synonymous with love, and men are women, and women are men, and champions of tolerance are not tolerant of those they deem intolerable. <laughs> Proponents of inclusion now proudly exclude everyone they don't want to include. So we've, we've come to a point in our culture where red is a number and two plus two equals green. That's how absurd all of this stuff is. It doesn't make any sense. Why? Because we all think we are dictionaries unto ourselves. We can define everything by our emotions, and the facts don't matter any longer. As long as you feel it, then that makes it so. And all of these lies have led our culture to, to, to depart from the values required to be a virtuous society. If you don't have any veritas, you're not going to have virtue. Veritas is truth, and you can't be virtuous if you don't have veritas. You're not going to have any meaningful values if you believe in value neutrality. You've got to have a standard. And it all starts with little things like the definitions of everyday words. When we depart from the established boundaries of the playing field, then we're going to depart from the very concept of having any truth to, divine, to define the game. And this departure from ascribing true meanings to words has blinded us from any hope of seeing reality for what it truly is. It's, it, it's placed us in a matrix that's ruled and dominated by whatever a bunch of leftist brats at Google and Facebook or 
Washington, D.C. or San Francisco happen to demand on a given day. It doesn't matter what's real or true any longer. That's why we're talking about giving $5 million per person as reparations in, in San Francisco. That's crazy. They're denying reality. You can't do that. You don't have enough money. It, it, it's it's going to cost those that don't get the reparations so much money in taxes that who in their right mind would stay in the state? And, and this is why we've lost women's sports. Women's sports doesn't exist any longer because we've started dumbing down the definition of what it means to be a woman to nothing but the fantasy and the fabrication of a dysphoric man. We've taken women's bathrooms and showers and scholarships and sports away because we can't define what a woman is any longer. And then when Matt Walsh comes out and produces a documentary, basically simply asking the question, what is a woman, and answering it as an objective fact, he's, he's canceled. He's canceled by the leftists who don't like what he's saying, who, who disagree with his objective definition, with the fact of reality as opposed to playing this game of fantasy that they want to engage in. So my point is this. This doesn't bode well. This does not bode well for a society that was once a society of good government and virtue. Now we're a society of big government and value neutrality. And that vacuum that we've created is going to be filled by power. It's not going to be solved by anything else. We're going to lose our liberty and lose our freedom as the result of dumbing down the definition of our daily conversation and our words. So I've, I've said this before in previous shows. Augustine had a word or two words for this, to be more specific and more accurate. He called all of this the Fantastica Fornicatio. The Fantastica Fornicatio. That's last Latin for the prostitution of the mind. When we become dictionaries unto ourselves, we are guilty of this prostitution of the mind. It's, it's what Nathaniel Hawthorne said in this particular quote. Words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them. One more time from Hawthorne. Words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate him. Hawthorne is saying it's very dangerous for society to come to the point where all of our words are manipulated. Words may be powerless and innocent if they're objectively defined in a dictionary, but when we become dictionaries unto ourselves and start manipulating the definition of those words on the basis of our feelings rather than the objective reality of what those words should mean, then all of a sudden birds do become cows, cows do become chickens, horses do become Labradors, and your dog starts laying eggs because if you feel like that's reality, that's what it becomes. You may say, well, that's absurd. We'll never go there. Well, how absurd is it for a man to say a woman doesn't exist any longer? For a feminist to say she is for women's rights when the feminist won't even tell you when she's being interviewed for a position on the Supreme Court what the definition of a woman is. Uh, This is where we are right now. Why is that any less crazy than claiming that a dog is a chicken or a chicken is a horse? So, Here's the point of today's show. Today's woke disregard for the objective meaning of words is, has led us to less liberty rather than more. Progressives have spun reality and turned it on its head. 
in, in their rainbow lexicon, love is now synonymous with sex. I said that earlier, and hate is now synonymous with love, and men are women, and women are men. It's, when we compromise the definition of words and their clear meaning, we compromise our ability to debate or disagree, and we shift from being critical thinkers to little more than parrots for what's popular and in vogue at a given time. And C.S. Lewis warned of this some half a century ago when he wrote his book called The Great Divorce. Remember, I've told you about this before. There are several characters in The Great Divorce that uh, are all, they're all in hell, and a bus shows up and gives them the opportunity to take a bus ride to the gates of heaven. And the entire book is about those people, those, those ghosts that are in purgatory or hell, choosing to go back to hell rather than enter heaven because they'd be, rather be masters of their own misery rather than being the servant of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. It's a rather sad commentary, right? Well, there's an exchange between two characters in this book, The Great Divorce, and it's between uh, George MacDonald, who is the bus driver, and George MacDonald was C.S. Lewis's intellectual mentor, if you will. And it's a, the, it's a dialogue between George, George MacDonald and this ghost, this academic, who is so proud of his own definitions of life, if you will, that he can't see them for what they are. And because George MacDonald was an academic himself, and you could argue that C.S. Lewis is kind of even putting himself into this character, you've got this exchange between one academic and another. The George MacDonald or C.S. Lewis character is admitting the arrogance of his ways, while the ghost won't go there yet. So in The Great Divorce, um, Lewis kind of scolds this ghostly agnostic by saying this, when did we ever tell the truth? Or You know we didn't. We simply found ourselves in contact with a certain current of ideas and we plunged into it because it seemed modern and successful. We just started writing the kind of essays that automatically won us applause. We just started saying the kind of things that won us approval. Now, that's the challenge that C.S. Lewis is extending really to himself. And he's saying that that's the temptation of the Academy, of the Ivory Tower. We think we've got our act together, but we simply found ourselves in contact with a certain current, a stream, a flow, a river of ideas, and we plunged into it because it seemed modern and successful. It was popular, and we just started writing the kind of essays that automatically won us applause. We didn't care about whether it was true or not. We just wanted to be popular. That's my paraphrase. And, and Jesus kind of gets into this in his parable of building on sand or rock. And he tells us that anything, anything other than the solid rock of Christ, the solid rock of truth, the solid rock that is revealed to us by God is going to be a foundation of sand. And foundations matter. So where am I going with this? Foundations matter. Truth matters. Definitions make a difference. And a stable foundation holds true. But shifting sands, your opinion, uh, defining things by virtue of what you feel rather than what they really are, that's, that's sand that's just going to blow away and crumble. So Jesus is very clear. Our lives must be built on the solid rock of enduring definitions. Or as Chesterton once put it, the point of opening one's mind is akin to that of opening one's mouth. It's to close it on something solid. One more time from Chesterton. The whole point of opening one's mind is akin to that of opening one's mouth. 
The point is to close it, your mouth on solid food and your mind on solid definitions and truth. So a culture of shifting sands, uh, moving targets of fairy tale definitions, it's going to collapse and it's going to fail. Words have definitions. Meanings aren't changed just because you and I feel like it. So when I answer the question, what's wrong with the world, I basically say, I am, but why am I wrong with the world? Well, it all goes back to the original sin. You and I are tempted by the original sin to do what? To eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become as God. And I've told you before, what's the moral of that story? What's the Bible's point there? When we start defining what's good and what's evil, when we think we are dictionaries unto ourselves, when we think we are Webster, and we can start defining good and evil, black and white, bitter and sweet, male and female, right and wrong, when we start defining these things ourselves, then you've got as many dictionaries as you have individuals, and you have total chaos. There's no cohesion. Words have definitions. Meanings aren't changed by your feelings. You're not Webster, and I'm not Webster. We can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and raise up as gods, supplanting God from his own throne and putting ourselves on it without suffering the consequences, and that is the consequence of original sin. Let me say this in the last couple minutes of the show. The Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland said this, If I had a world of my own, everything would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is, because everything would be what it isn't. And contrary-wise, what is wouldn't be. The Mad Hatter. So, Augustine calls it Fantastica Fornicatio, the prostitution of the mind. Graham Walker called it the diabolical human mind, the pathology of the intellect. And the Apostle Paul calls it the reprobate mind. When we start worshiping the created rather than the creator, we're given over to a mind that can't think, a debauched mind, a reprobate mind, a clouded intellect. When we become dictionaries unto ourselves, when we think our feelings matter more than the facts of what's already well-defined for us, when we start claiming that we can define bitter and sweet, sweet and bitter, male and female, right and wrong, good and evil. When we define those things rather than accepting the objective definition of things that really matter, our life becomes as crazy as that of a Mad Hatter. Everything becomes nonsense. Nothing is what it is because everything is what it isn't. And contrary-wise, what is won't be, and what won't be is. It makes no sense. It's all backwards. It's all upside down. So in answering the question, what is wrong with the world, G.K. Chesterton was absolutely right. I am, and you are. You're what's wrong with the world. I'm what's wrong with the world. And if you're what's wrong, if what you see in the mirror is what's wrong with the world, if what I see in the mirror is what's wrong with the world, then the last thing you want is what you see in the mirror to be Webster, to be the dictionary, to be the definition of justice and injustice, male and female, childhood and adulthood. What you see in the mirror can't be the dictionary. 
You can't be the measuring rod unto yourself. You can't be the dictionary unto yourself. You can't be the scale upon which you're going to measure yourself. You've got to have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. So what's wrong with the world right now is what you see in your own reflection. And if that thing that's staring back at you is going to become the ultimate measurement of truth and falsehood, we're in a lot of trouble because now you have nothing but competing feelings and opinions and agendas and power plays. You have an entire country and culture of adolescents who just don't like the fact that dad or mom told them no. And so they're going to rise up in a temper tantrum and throw a fit. This is a culture of shifting sands and moving targets and fairy tale definitions, and it's collapsing and failing. Words have definitions. Meanings aren't changed just because you and I feel like it. Go back to Nathaniel Hawthorne. That was a great quote that we started with. Okay, I want you to hear this one more time. Words so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to manipulate them. And who is that one? You and I know how to manipulate words to our own detriment. You, you, you can't and I can't be trusted to reverse the definition of is. Bill Clinton shined a light on this problem when he showed us the darkness of his own soul, when he responded to the inquiry of him perjuring himself, which he did. He lied. But his justification for it was, well, it depends on what the definition of is, is. Clinton isn't his own dictionary. Is has an objective definition. And you're not your own dictionary, nor am I. There's a reality outside of ourselves. You can't measure yourself by yourself. You can't put your thumb on the scales. That's why Lady Liberty is blind. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.